Hi, superstars. Welcome back to the Sorta Spicy series. As you know, we've been doing this Sorta Spicy series for a couple of months now. Different people on the team, including myself, have come in and shared our thoughts on some topics that we would not normally talk about on our Friday episodes. Some of them have been spicy in a sexy way, but some of them have been spicy for other reasons, topics that we just don't normally, well really go there with on the main Friday shows because maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe they're, you know, the kind of topics we want to just trust to the community that we know can handle the conversation. And that would be our superstar awesome. So I am so excited for this episode in Sort of Spicy because we get to talk to your friend and mine, Katie Proctor. Hi, Katie. Hi, Meg. As you guys know, when Katie is on the show, we're going to be talking books and reading. And Katie had a really great idea because, you know, in some of the episodes that we have shared in Sort of Spicy, like when Kelly and I did the episode on purity culture, there's been some really great follow-up conversations as people have kind of talked about their own faith journey and how it has changed over the years. Katie, you had a really great idea of like, hey, this is a topic that people want to talk about. And a lot of times, an important, how can I say this, part of a faith journey are it's the books that we're reading. And, yep. and since you're our books and reading specialist, <laughs> it makes sense that we would kind of get together and talk about this. In fact, you have a whole list that you've put together, and I have some that I want to throw in too, some books that have been important on your faith deconstruction and reconstruction journey. Yeah. So thank you for this idea. I'm really excited to get into it. I'm excited too. And I want to tell you right off the bat too, that you are probably the reason I started reading these in the first place, because you had said something a long time ago about how you love spiritual memoirs. And I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so when I started to kind of look around for spiritual memoirs, I found a lot of these. And so you are my, um, the cat was the catalyst. You were the catalyst for me finding these. So I think you should know that. Thank you for saying that. I have chill bumps everywhere. That means so much to me. Truly spiritual memoir is my one of my favorite genres to read. I never get tired of reading these. And a lot of the ones I want to talk about today are spiritual memoirs of sorts. So yeah. we're going to get to all of that. As you all know, and if you're new to being a superstar, first of all, again, welcome. We're so thankful for your support of Sorta Awesome. In our sort of spicy series, we thought it would be kind of fun to kind of, you know, mirror the way that we do our regular Friday episodes. So we do have some awesomes of the week to share with you before we get into our discussion of books on faith and deconstruction, reconstruction. Katie, what do you have for us in this awesome of the week? Okay, so I literally just finished this audiobook like five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> um, and I need Rebecca especially to know about it because I okay. think she'll love it. But it's called Life's Too Short by Abby Jimenez. And this is like the third one in her um, Happy Ever, Happily Ever After playlist kind of series, but it's not really a series. It's just kind of all in the same world. And there are some random characters that are in the same books. But basically, we have Vanessa, who is like a vlogger, celeb. Um, she's kind of a big deal. 
deal. People really love her. She travels a lot, um, but she's currently kind of homebound because she's taking care of her sister's baby. Her sister's a uh, drug addict and has all kinds of issues. Okay. So she's taking care of her sister's baby. Her hot neighbor slash landlord is a big shot lawyer. He has this horrible breakup at the very beginning of the book. He knocks on her door in the middle of the night because the baby's screaming and, you know, offers to hold the baby while she takes a shower and, you oh. know, all the things happen from there. Yes. But the problem is that Vanessa is convinced that she has a gene that will cause ALS because her mom died early. Her sister, di- another sister died early. Oh. And so she's kind of living her life like she's about to die and she refuses to date. And he has all this anxiety and doesn't want to travel on a plane. And he has issues with his family too. So they work through all of that. It is a romance. Um, I would say it's a little bit open door, but not a whole lot. Like, I don't think it would make anybody too uncomfortably um, cringy if you don't like that kind of thing, but it's just very sweet and heartwarming. And I cried a little bit and loved it. And so I just had to share that one. Oh my gosh. Tell me the title again. Life's too short. Abby Jimenez. All right. Well, I will look that one up for sure. And it was really good on audio. I'm guessing it was good on audio. Yeah. Okay. They they had, it was two voices because it went back and forth between him and her. So yeah, Yeah. it was great. In a romance book. And you know, it's kind of like, it's a toss up. Sometimes you're going to get the two voices. Sometimes you get the one narrator. I do like it when they uh, spring for two voice actors to come in when there's, especially in a romance, it really makes sense. Yeah, it was really good. Good, good. Okay. Well, we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, My Us of the Week is sort of romance book adjacent. Ooh. (laughs) And okay, this is, I don't often do this, but I'm going to say this is like a a, a hopeful awesome, but I don't know how this is going to turn out. So Katie, as you may remember, years and years ago, um, an awesome of the week, a a podcast that I fell in love with was the Babysitter's Club Club. Yep. (laughs) Those are hilarious. (laughs) Yes. Which is the Babysitter's Club reread series by Jack Jack Shepard and um, Tanner Greenring. So I listened to that for years. You know, obviously, they eventually finished the material. Mm -hmm. They not only read the original series, they read all of the side books and they reviewed like when Netflix did the Babysitter's Club series. They reviewed that. So they did every possible thing that you could do with Babysitter's Club, but they were still out of material. And so, you know, after lots of like debating, deliberating, talking to their audience, what are we going to do next? And trying some different things, they ultimately decided to completely pivot and do a romance book podcast. Ooh. That's so, fun. yeah. And so I listened to the first episode. Now they do it completely tongue in cheek. They make a joke out of the fact that they are reading things that were not meant for them. They're like, mm-hmm. we are doing what straight white men do best, which is taking over a space <laughs> that wasn't created for us. Also like the babysitter's club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they're very self-aware about it. And so I did listen to the first one. Now, I don't I don't know where I land on it because they're sort of shtick. There's, first of all, Katie, as you may know, there are a ton of really excellent romance book mm-hmm. podcasts that do all kinds of incredible like textual analysis and talk about, you know, what this speaks to in the bigger, broader culture. Like there's so many great mm-hmm. podcasts out there. Their particular shtick, and again, they're a comedy show, is that they are squeamish about sex. And so (laughs) they, like, their thing is like, we're two prude dudes. And so they, 
<laughs> they try to avoid talking about sex, but in avoiding talking about sex, they talk about sex a lot. Got and it. so that is their approach. Well, the first book that they chose is Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I oh, read. You loved. I, I loved that book so much. I don't think I ever even talked about it on the main show, which is crazy to me because it's one of my favorite um, new adult romance reads from the past year for sure. But I think that I'm just like not maybe connecting with that particular approach to that book because I love it so much that yeah. I'm like, why can't you guys just talk about all the awesome things about this book? So I'm going to give it a, that's why I'm hopeful. I do think that eventually once they kind of find their stride with talking about romance instead of the Babysitter's Club, um, <laughs> that they will get there. But right now I'm just like, oh my gosh, I love that book so much. I probably should not have listened to that episode. Well, maybe you're too close to it. Like we're pretty far removed from a Babysitter's Club days. And so they were funny. Yes. Because they were like nostalgic. <laughs> yes, totally. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I will link to Red, White, and Royal Blue in the show notes along with, oh, I forgot to say. So they pitted. It's not the Babysitter's Club Club anymore. They totally changed the name, the branding, everything. Now their podcast is called Strange Bedfellows. Oh, okay. So that is the sort of reincarnated version of Jack and Tanner and their comedy and reading books and reacting to them. So I will link to that in the show notes, but I'm also going to link to Red, White, and Royal Blue because it really is such a great book and so much fun. So anyway, those are awesomes awesome of the week for us for this particular episode. And Katie, like I said at the top of this, we have both put together a list. I am so glad that you and I are doing this one together and having this conversation together because I think some of my books are going to be like, a li- they're gonna, definitely going to be a little older. They're going to, you know, be speaking to people who are maybe started their faith journey or maybe experienced a deconstruction a little bit further back in time than you did. I feel like your Mm -hmm. list is like really fresh and young and modern. Mm -hmm. Mine are some of the more might even be considered classics by now (laughs) in the spiritual memoir and faith category. But we both thought it would be really good to just kind of fill in the superstars before we started talking about books on where we are coming from when it comes to spiritual journey. So I was going to see if you could just kind of like lead us into the conversation with that. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in a Methodist church, um, long, long Methodist family, like generations of Methodists. Um, and so the church that I went to, we had a female associate pastor. We had gay couples singing in the choir. Um, it was pretty, I would say it was pretty progressive as far as like on the spectrum of churches. Yeah. And um, then I went to and I was heavily involved in youth group, church camp. Like that was my jam. I liked being there more than I liked being at school, Yeah, you know, because I could be, I felt like I could be myself and people liked me there. And so um, I was way more extroverted at church camp and church than I was at school. Um, but when I went to college, I went to, te- I went to Texas Christian mm-hmm. university and mm-hmm. I started attending a Lutheran church there just because it was like where my friends were going and they had like a young adult kind of group, like college group. And I really loved that group. Um, but then when I got married, we kind of graduated up to this young adult group. And I remember one night sitting with this kind of new pastor. He was very like excited about his new job and very, you know, very Lutheran. And so we were, he he was like, I want to talk about all the controversial things, right? So he would bring up stuff like homosexuality and he would bring up things um, but that just like, I almost felt like you're baited into having these conversations, you know, and I get really 
like mad when I have to have conversations with people like that, that I know I'm not going to agree with going in. I get very sweaty and anxious. Mm, mm -hmm. And one night we were talking about um, communion and um, baptism. And the Methodist church is very open about communion. The Mm -hmm. table's open all the time. You could walk in off the street, take communion. It's it's just open table. I started taking communion when I was like an infant, when Mm -hmm. I could chew, you know, that's just kind of how the Methodist church works. And for baptism, like they will baptize infants, but it's not a requirement. And my parents allowed me to make that decision when I was older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could make, I made that choice when I was 12 or 13 to be baptized. And so I appreciated that. But the Lutheran, um, the church that I was going to, their, their processes for that were a lot different. And so mm-hmm. I just posed the question to him, well, what do you do with people who want to join your church, but they're not like a hundred percent in alignment with all your specific beliefs about, you know, communion and baptism. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, I would say good riddance to those people. <gasps> and I like never went back. I mean, we never went back. That right. was the absolute last time I stepped foot on that church campus. Okay. And in that, like, kind of lost our a little bit of our community because it was like, I'm just mm, done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it took me a really, really long time to go back to church. And when we did, um, we went back to this Church of Christ that was kind of like a Church of Christ, but it had, like, used instruments. So they weren't really Church of Christ anymore. And at the same time, my very, very best friend came out to me as gay, and I was processing all of that. She was scared to tell me because she knew I was a Christian, and she thought that I was going to hate her for that, which broke my heart because I didn't, of course. Um, You know, so I was processing that, processing how, you know, the church handles that kind of stuff. And then, you know, years fast forward, COVID hit, you know, watching how churches um, dealt with masks and dealt with, you know, listening to advice from doctors and science and all of that kind of stuff. And so we're at a place right now, I haven't been in the church building in probably two years. Okay. Um, Just because I would sit and listen to, you know, sermons and I just found myself like breaking them apart into little, like, I'm going to criticize. I wanted to, I my I wanted to criticize everything that they were saying. And, you know, just like you're thinking about the most vulnerable, vulnerable people, the most marginalized people, these churches were not for those people. And I was like, why am I sitting in here listening to this? Right. You know, yes. um, when I think that our faith should should make us more open to those communities and um, more welcoming to them. So that's where I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of self-study, a lot of talking and sharing with people. And so that's where I am now. I'm so glad that you mentioned, first of all, first of all, I think it is so important to let people have a space to kind of say, this is where I have come from. This is what formed Mm -hmm. me. And this is where I am now. Last night I taught at our church. I teach on our our RCIA team. That's the, so RCIA classes are the people who are, I, I feel like, our particular parish has a really open mind about it. It's like for people who are exploring the Catholic faith, there's no expectation that that you would Mm -hmm. at the end of your um, journey choose to become Catholic. And so I'm, I love teaching on that team. And last night I was teaching about divine revelation, but I opened, there's my, it's like the second class of this session. And I opened my talk with them just telling our story and just saying like, Mm -hmm. I just want to honor the fact that every single person that's sitting here has a whole journey. Like we're all sitting here in this moment in time, but every one of you has a journey with God, with the Bible, with church, and we're all bringing our own stories to interact with this idea of like how God speaks to us, how God speaks to his people. And I just think it's really like, that's one of the most difficult things, right? And talking about religion and faith is that 
every single person, even if you grow up in the same hometown and you go to the same church and all of that, all of us have these formative experiences that can really vastly, deeply change how we interact with the idea of faith and having religion and those types of things. Well, and I think to our personality types, like, uh, like I could have, inter- I could have interpreted things differently than sure. my, you know, yeah. sister who grew up in the same exact house as me. And so we have those vastly different experiences yes. too. You know, the yeah. things that stick out to us are different. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. And I think it's really important that you mentioned the impact that COVID and the pandemic, I know that that has had a profound effect on so many people being away from church and then also seeing how um, different, you know, either the local church or the broader maybe denomination that you're part of or whatever has responded, what the leadership has done and said and those types of things. I really think this is so important because I think that so many people where there might have been just like some simmering things under the surface, but you were able to kind of like, okay, I'm just going to take it in stride and stay focused on the big picture, whatever, with the pandemic and everything being a lot more intense, I think it's been a breaking point. I know we've had conversations in our Superstars Hangout with people saying like, post-pandemic, I don't know if I'm going to go back to church. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting and um, such a big part of the bigger dynamic of faith in America right now right. Um, that many people who are who maybe hadn't ever considered deconstructing their faith now find themselves doing that. And so that's why I hope that this episode will be helpful, this conversation between you and I, as we share some of these books um, Mm -hmm. and the authors that really spoke to us at a moment in time. So, well, and I, I'm sorry, I forgot to add this. I can't believe I forgot this, but this really started for me after we had left that church, the the 2016 election Mm. and how the, the broader evangelical voting block um, reacted to Trump and his behavior and some of the things that he was saying, that was another catalyst for me to, to really say, do I really like want to belong to this group of people? Um, And that started all these questions and all the things that, um, you know, set me off on this kind of journey, I guess. So I can't believe I forgot to mention that because that was huge for me. So absolutely. That is a that I I kind of forget, like we're so enmeshed in like our pandemic, post pandemic, what's even happening in the world lives that I (laughs) I literally like, oh, yeah, 2016 was a real moment in time, wasn't it? It was five years well, ago. It feels like it feels five like lifetimes ago. Right. It feels like we've been in March of 2020 for, you know, right. 17 months or something. So, yes. yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, okay. So what I thought we could do, Katie, a lot of times on our book shows, we just kind of go back and forth. And so yeah. I thought this might be a great way to do this is just we can each kind of share some books, maybe tell the superstars about the moment in time we are reading this white spoke to us then and and yeah just how this these books have formed um where we are spiritually speaking right now so why don't you start us off with your list okay so i decided to start with the first one that i really read um that i remember and it was called it's called the most beautiful thing i've seen opening your eyes to wonder and it's by lisa gunger and i don't know um most of us uh you know who grew up at church camp will know gunger because they were they are banned and they have music and um beautiful thing is one of their most um well-known songs but she so she kind of details her faith journey her marriage he was like a worship leader and one day kind of came to her and said i don't know if i believe in god anymore and that was a very big turning point for her um to 
start asking questions, to start going, you know, what, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for our family? They had a baby girl who was born with Down syndrome. And so looking at, you know, how that experience shaped their family and their faith. They had a death of a close friend. And so all she just kind of details how all of these little things, um, like you said, were part of her journey and how they um, they shaped her ideas about God and faith and loving people. And um, I just loved her reflections on kind of letting go of what she thought she knew. Like, I feel like we all, you know, it's human nature to want to be certain about things. And I think faith is one of those things that you just can't really be cer- 100% certain about all the time because you have to leave room for growth and you have to leave room for, you know, seeing new things and looking at things from different angles. So I really, really loved that one. And it made a huge impact on me. I love that. That's not what I've read, but I've kind of sort of watched the Gungers and their journey through all of these questions and explorations, um, you know, sort of like from the sidelines, as many people mm-hmm. do. And so um, that sounds really beautiful. It really does. It is. Um, like I said, some of my books are going to take us back in time. And my first one is a very pure example of that. So this is going back to 2003 with the publication of Donald Miller's Blue Like Jazz. <laughs> yeah, I love that one too. <laughs> it, this was the first book for me, Katie, the very first book ever. Again, this came out in 2003. I want to say I probably read it in 2006, 2005, 2006 range. Um, I had a new baby. I had just become a mom and... Um, I was part of an amazing group of women um, who were, it was very ecumenical. It was just like, we went to all different churches, but we came together once a week for what we called prayer coffee, where we would just talk about spiritual things and share prayer requests and share our stories, those types of things. And one of my friends in that group literally put this book in my hands and said, read it. I want to hear your thoughts on this. And so um, Donald Miller is an interesting person in the, in the, bigger scope of Christian publishing and in publishing in general. And so again, this is just like, feels like such a moment in time, because I think this may, I think it was actually his second book, but it was like kind of the book that brought him to the foreground of, of national attention, I think. Um, And so this is a book that I'm like, that book, I don't particularly jive with like, his work now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Like all of us, like if you looked at what I was doing and saying in, in the early aughts, that doesn't really align with who I am now. So, right. um, but Blue Like Jazz is the very first time that I felt like somebody was giving me permission to even like question. Mm-hmm. And there is one scene that he talks about in that book that I will always, always remember that he had gone with some other Christians to a college campus and set up like a table or a tent or something. And it was like um, a forgiveness table or something like that. But instead of them like dispensing forgiveness, it was it invited people to come and say like where they needed forgiveness from the church, like mm-hmm. how the church had hurt them. And it was like the first time I was able to really engage with the idea that church or Christianity or faith or religion could damage people. Mm-hmm. And also not coincidentally, I read this book at the time when my best friend from high school, one of my best friends, Andy was coming out. And Laura Tremaine talks about this in her book, Share Your Stuff. And um, she did an interview with him for the secret tapes. I I think Laura tries to emphasize this. I don't, I don't know if I can say strongly enough how deeply impactful 
him mm-hmm. coming out was on our group of friends because we, and I, I didn't give my context, but I think a lot of people know just from listening right. to sort of awesome <laughs> through the years. I grew up evangelical, had mm-hmm. a five year span of wandering and like just not figuring out what to do with Jesus and church and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, am now a Catholic and became Catholic in 2018. That was to be able to read Don Miller's reflections on like, you can question these things, mm-hmm. like seems so elementary now, but it was very revolutionary. And so it really helped guide me through, like I had to do a lot of processing and questioning of like, here is a, the, one of the dearest friends of my whole life, whom I've known since I was 13 years old, 14 years mm-hmm. old. And to hear him talk about the pain that he has experienced growing up evangelical and gay and like trying to reconcile all of that together, I was lost. And I feel like I found my footing a little bit when I read Blue Light Jazz, just giving me that permission to just say like, you mean everything I have always been taught isn't the absolute perfection and the absolute answer for everything. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I will always hold that book with such affection because it gave me permission Yeah. And I will say, so 2003, I was a junior in high school when that came out and I probably read it my senior year and I still have my original copy and I have, you know, moved several times and cold books several times. And that one is one that I will not let go of. It's on my shelf right now. And I kind of want to reread it now because I think I would see it a lot differently. Yes. Um, But I think that I went into college and young adulthood with a healthy, like, go ahead and ask questions. And then when I did ask questions, it was not good. And so that's where some of that tension was. But I do think that he he gave us permission to question and... um, and that might be where, you know, where I started out yeah. and then had issues and then had to go back to that. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. What else do you have on your list? So, um, this is a classic too. This is an older one, but I read it, uh, just a couple of years ago and it's called traveling mercies, some thoughts on faith by Anne Lamott, who is amazing. Um, and she, so this is just kind of like snapshots of her life and her faith and how it has impacted her. She's really funny. Um, she's honest. She's kind of irreverent. And so you're like, Oh, am I, she allowed to talk like this about, you know, we're talking about (laughs) God and Jesus and also about some things. Um, and I just love that she, she, is one who asks hard questions and she is one who will call people on their stuff and say, this is where you have messed up church with a big C or, you know, people who, you know, claim to be um, really spiritual. She's like, this is where you've messed up. And I love that her whole kind of theology is about um, community and how we're supposed to love each other here on earth. And um, so I loved that. And I love that they were just kind of little snippets. I wouldn't even say that that book has a linear kind of timeline. Right, but right, it's, right, right. Yeah. But it's just really short snapshots of her faith and how it's impacted her. And she's a ma- an amazing writer. So anything that she writes, I love. I did not read Traveling Mercies until way further down the road. And, you know, my because we did go through this time of like kind of spiritually wondering, I actually recognized fairly early on before I began to live this realization that I was like pretty progressive. <laughs> And so by the time I got to, I had, I read Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird as a, as a 
book and uh, composition when I was in um, college. And so I already knew who she was, but I thought of her more as, you know, like a writer, but mm-hmm. not in terms of like writing about faith. Anyway, it was years later when I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, where has this been my whole right. life? How did I miss this? So, yeah, so good. Such, such a good one. The next one on my list, talk about the permission to engage with questioning things. This was one of the most profoundly important, pivotal books for me. Um, Rachel Held Evans, her mm-hmm. very first book, which was was originally titled Evolving in Monkey Town. That was the um, title under which I read it. She did later retitle it to Faith Unraveled, but she kept the same um, subtitle, which was how a girl who knew all the answers learned to ask questions. So, of course, the late Rachel Held Evans spoke into the lives of so many Christians of a certain generation. So when Evolving in Monkey Town first came out, I had been reading her blog and identifying and relating so strongly because as opposed to like Don Miller's Blue Like Jazz was so important and pivotal, but he was older than me, had more experiences than me. Um, You know, just like there was enough differences that it wasn't like a true, like I see myself in these pages kind of Mm -hmm. book. However, Rachel Held Evans, her blog, and then her first book, all of her books, but definitely the first book, I was like, we have lived this parallel experience. Especially growing up in evangelicalism, where we were taught and trained to have an answer for every question, any question that is given to you, this very supercharged apologetic, you know, Christian apologetics approach to faith, there cannot be any questioning, there is an answer, and you do need to be prepared to give the answer. And you need to be taking your Bible with you to class so that people know that in this now, and I went to high school in the 90s, you guys like, um, But so people will know if they have questions like about what's the right thing to do, they will know that you have a Bible and like you can guide them like it was a whole thing. And so when I read Evolving in Monkey Town, I was blown away because her experiences growing up in this flavor of Christianity so closely mirrored what I had experienced. And yet here she was asking really deep questions. I remember her asking in that what in something that I struggled with deeply, like, so you're saying that people who like, are born in some place that doesn't have Christianity, but they practice their faith, whatever it is their whole life, when they die, they're going to hell, just because they never heard of (laughs) Jesus or Jesus wasn't allowed to be talked about. Like, so I won a cosmic lottery. I think I remember her using that phrase specifically that if, that if you are a Christian, you won the cosmic lottery that you get to go to heaven, but these poor other people that they, they missed it. Um, that was from the time I was a little girl and first learned mm-hmm. about right, me too. hell. Like I, that has always troubled me deeply. And so the fact that she would um, be able to so talk about not in a, like not in a snarky way, in a in a way that was like appreciative of the formation that she had, but also had the courage to engage questions and do her own faith deconstruction so publicly was just, mm-hmm. ugh, it was everything. And it was, again, somebody my age that I felt like we were, you know, like tracking together on the same path was yeah. really, really important. 
Well, and my next one on my list was actually her first, the first one that I read that she wrote was Inspired, um, mm. which the subtitle of that one is Slaying Giants, Walking on Water and Loving the Bible Again. And so I had heard her talk on Jen Hatmaker's podcast. I didn't even know who she was. And so, but I heard her talk about this book and I was kind of like in that place where I was like, I don't, don't even want to read the Bible at this point because I feel like people at, th- at that point in the world, people were grossly misusing the Bible to like yes. per- persecute people basically and, mm-hmm. you know, oppress groups of people. And I was like, I don't appreciate that. I don't even want to open this up. Yes. And, um, and so I was like, this is a book I need to read. So I ordered it immediately, sat down with it, read, you know, a chapter every day. And I just love her, her kind of view of the the Bible as a story. And she talked about genre, which is my writer, you know, teacher loving heart. She talked about the genres of the, with different genres that are in the Bible. And so how that's supposed to affect how we read them, like po- why the poetry is different than, mm-hmm. you know, the, the storytelling and that kind of thing. And so, and her whole approach to like the nature of God and who God is and who he's not, you know, and who um, historically people have treated God as this, you know, wrathful, angry, um, you know, those kind of things. And, and how she sees him actually in the old Testament, even through all of those times where like, that was when God was old Testament God, you know, like mean, scary God and new yes. Testament God's different. And she was like, they're not. And here's why. And she kind of went through the uh, kind of over, overview of the whole story and how it's, you know, God's big love letter to us and how we can read it um, with a critical eye, because there are some parts in the Bible that are your kind of, kind of side eye. If you, are a critical thinker. And she says that's important to be a critical thinker. Um, Not just to look at Bible as black and white truth a hundred percent of the time, because again, it's kind of impossible. If you read the book, if you actually read it, it's kind of impossible to read it black and white all the time. And so going back to that certainty versus questioning, um, I just loved that one. Um, And then, so then this is how I read Rachel Held Evans. I read inspired. Okay. And I read, um, a year of biblical womanhood, which is, okay. I didn't put on my list, but I actually loved it. Cause it was very funny. Like was she so funny. Yeah. Like sat outside the city gates and yes. you know, w- waited for her husband on the way home from work and yes. you know, lived in a tent when she was on her period and stuff. I loved it. And so, and then I read, um, searching for Sunday, which I also put on this list. And then the last one that I read was faith unraveled, which is kind of funny. Cause I read them totally out of order, Yeah, but I was reading searching for Sunday, uh, when she got sick and mm. when she, she passed away. And so having her voice in my hands, you know, I'm going to yeah. talk about this. Yeah. Um, it was really impactful. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's hard not to get emotional when we talk about somebody who spoke with such clarity and such conviction, but also made such a big table for everybody to come and have these conversations. So it's hard. It's hard. It's a grief that I think many of us still bear for sure. She has a new book coming out. Did you know? Um, oh, no. Because she was writing one. And um, okay. Jeff Jeff Chu, who was her yes. good buddy, he finished it for her. And so it's coming out in November. <laughs> that is awesome. I cannot wait. That will be amazing, I'm sure. Um, well, the next book on my list is somebody who is in that circle of um, friends and teachers. And that's Sarah Bessie, who is um, a dear friend of mine. And I love all of Sarah's books. I tell her I can never read any of her books with any kind of objectivity. I love them when they're an idea in her mind. So by the time they make it to page, I'm like, I, this is 11 out of 10. I will never (laughs) not love a Sarah Bessie book, but 
the one I put on my actual list is Jesus Feminist, her first book. Mm -hmm. And um, because she is a dear friend, I got to kind of be behind the scenes as um, that book was coming together as like we were, you know, picking a cover and like all of the different things that went into it. But actually reading Jesus Feminist came at such an important and I, I think wonderful time in my life because I had been going through a pretty gnarly deconstruction of faith. And when Jesus Feminist came out, it was so hopeful and so empowering. Mm-hmm. Sarah's work is definitely empowering for, for everybody, but Jesus Feminist helped to um, heal some wounds that I didn't even know that I had and some beliefs that I had so deeply internalized that I didn't even realize that could be reexamined. And so I, you know, I remember that book just like being so the titles, like so provocative Jesus feminist, Mm -hmm. especially at the time when it came out, which was like 2011, 2012, somewhere in that realm. Um, And Oh, 2013 is when it was published. Um, So, you know, just being able to see God's plan for women. In fact, the the subtitle is An Invitation to Revisit the Bible's View of Women. Mm -hmm. I did not realize how deeply um, formed in my thoughts about what women can do, the women's role in the church, God's plan for women, how deeply it had been shaped through the years until I really dug in and read Jesus Feminist. And truly, I just keep saying it was so hopeful, but I think that I think I keep saying that because it really was coming to me in a time when I just like needed hope. Like, I am a being, I am bearing God's image, I have mm-hmm. a role, I am not just coming along and helping people, which is an important part of all of our calling as human beings. But But you can lead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. And so again, I mean, truly, I could put all of Sarah's books on my list, but Jesus Feminist in terms of like, what helped me to both deconstruct some ideas I had about faith, but then also put some ideas back together. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus Feminist has to be on that because it was really profound for me. Well, and I didn't even put, I love Sarah Bessie too. And I'm going to talk about another one of hers in just a second. But um, one that I just recently read in the same vein of Jesus Feminist is called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. Oh, yes. How, how the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. And this is by Beth Allison Barr. And I, um, it's very recently published within the last year or so. But she's a medieval historian, um, super smart. Um, and she was, she's married to a, they were in the Southern Baptist church at the time. And he, she and her husband started to kind of ask some questions like, well, can my wife lead, um, you know, a youth group Bible study mm-hmm. and they wouldn't mm-hmm. let her do it if there were boys in it because, yes. you know, a woman could not be teaching the boys. Mm-hmm. And so she started this whole journey of like really looking into the historical context of women in the church and where they belonged and, you know, Paul, what Paul had to say about it. And so she broke down every little thing. And it was, it was, it was a challenging read because it's very heady. Like there's a Mm. lot of, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of context. And, but she broke it down in such a way that showed that really like women were so valued in the early church and how Mm. they were in the medieval church. And then how even some of the language in the Bible, um, when it was translated from the original language, where it was ungendered in the original language, they, they gendered it male for the English language. And so kind of breaking down some of those thoughts, um, that book is really, really good. If anyone's interested in like, you know, patriarchy in the church and how, yeah, (laughs) 
how the Bible's been used to kind of control women and keep them in their place. And, um, and so Sarah Besties was, that was the first one I read mm-hmm. about that kind of topic. And then this one went even more into like the history and the, yeah. the Bible part of it. So that I one was really good. I've heard so many good things about that book. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I know many people were profoundly just like, oh my gosh, I learned so much. Um, and that was, honestly, that was a big part of healing for me when I came into the Catholic Church, because growing up evangelical, I I felt really cut off from church history in terms of like the broader history, mm-hmm. like like church history for me started like sometime in the 1800s with the... <laughs> Southern Baptists like really began to form together and coalesce. Um, but so for me to, in examining church history through the eyes of the Catholic church, you have saints going literally all the way back to the, the women who traveled with Christ and um, into Mary's parents are sainted mm-hmm. and, and just the figure of the blessed mother of the blessed Virgin Mary Um to be like these, they were they were here this whole time, and I didn't yeah. even know. And so that I was very, that. yeah, very very affirming to me when when we came into the Catholic Church, and still is still a huge part mm-hmm. of my faith for sure. So, um, okay, so we, was that on your list or no? It wasn't. It's was just like a little bonus because <laughs> <laughs> because, and I'm glad you talked about Sarah Bessie because my favorite of hers, I, I've read all of them, but my favorite was Miracles and mm-hmm. Other Reasonable Things, a yes. story of unlearning and relearning God. Yes. And and um, I would have bought it even if I didn't like her, even if I didn't know who she was, because the title of the unlearning and the relearning, when I was, you know, learning to teach kids how to write and how to, um, you know, understand what they were reading, that's a huge cycle, right? You have to unlearn some of your habits and the things that you thought you knew, and then you have to relearn them. Yes. And that's just, if you if you get stuck in this, I know everything all the time, you're, there's no forward movement. And so... That has that's how I have kind of seen my faith journey is like an unlearning of of harmful things that I have been taught or have been ingrained in me, and then a relearning of what you know what I feel like is God's real plan for the earth and for our us yeah. and for you know people. And so um, she talks about her like she got in a car accident and living with her chronic illness in that book. Um, she t- I will never see a blue heron again without mm. thinking of her because. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like her signal, you know, every time she saw a blue heron, she, you know, had this moment. And um, I, I definitely like, I'm fascinated by her Pentecostal background because that is, mm-hmm. I, my tradition was so far removed from that, that yes. I have never even stepped foot in a Pentecostal church, but I love her um, reflections on how that had, that formed her, you know, and um, how she was still deeply had some of those, you know, things about her that are very Pentecostal and how she wanted to hold on to those things while also moving forward. Um, And then I'm sure you love the part in that book where she went to and met the Pope Mm -hmm. and she, you know, she went to to Vatican and met him. And I, that whole part of the story, I mean, she just, I loved it so much. Yes. Yes, of course. Definitely love that. Love that book. Loved seeing that come together in the book that it turned into. It's super powerful. Um, She's definitely somebody, again, that I think a lot of women especially just really resonate with Mm -hmm. the things that she writes. And I just appreciate her approach so much. Well, and I think she was one of the first people that I read that 
um, talked about motherhood and how, you know, how she was before and then after and how that really impacted her faith. I mean, we all have, there's a million things out there about becoming a mom and how Mm -hmm. that changes you, but, um, you know, looking at it from a, from a spiritual perspective and how, um, just becoming a mom and her whole life changing also impacted her faith. So I really, really love Sarah Bessie. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot because I'm kind of like trying to like keep in mind a timeline and a time frame. And there's one book that I don't want to leave out because it was super powerful, even though, again, it's written by somebody who's kind of a controversial figure and who I don't always jive with as a person. And that's Rob Bell's Love Wins. Do you remember when Love Wins came out and mm-hmm. it was like the biggest controversy in Christianity it was in 2011. That was 10 years ago mm-hmm. when it came out. So Love Wins, if you haven't read it, or if you're not familiar with Rob Bell, um, he's written a, a number of books. This one came out in 2011, and the subtitle is A Book About Heaven, Hell, and the Fate of Every Person Who Ever Lived. That's Rob Bell for you. He's a little yep. extra. <laughs> very, He's very blunt. He is. I got to see him in person. One of the superstars who's a very dear friend of mine, Stephanie. Um, this was years and years ago. He was in Oklahoma City doing a reading. Oh, I cool. can't even remember what book. It, he had just launched a new book and he was doing a reading. And we went to a full circle bookstore here in Oklahoma City. And there were like literally like 20 of us because he's not really a big figure really in Oklahoma style Christianity. <laughs> it was, so it, there was, it was just this small group of people and he did this reading and he does have a very charismatic, big personality, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Um, but love wins. Okay, so going back to the whole question of a literal hell, um, love wins was the first book that gave me permission to be like, oh my gosh, wait a second. You're saying that maybe there isn't a literal hell. I know this is a big topic and Katie right. and I are not here. To We're, not We're not theologians. We're not theologians. But this was the first book where I felt like there was a compelling case made for the fact that mm-hmm. love wins like God is love and that maybe what we have envisioned, imagined, again, for centuries and centuries of church history, um, maybe that's not maybe that's not the only way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is tricky territory for me because as a practicing Catholic, I mean, the, the Catholic Church fully affirms uh, an actual hell and it has mm-hmm. a very, like, very um, structured theology around what happens to us after we die. Although there are definitely, you're going to find Catholic thinkers um, and theologians for sure who might say, well, if there is a hell, it's empty or... Um, we just trust the soul of each person to the love of God. Like you're definitely Mm going to find, even within Catholicism, you'll find a spectrum. Um, But yeah, to me, this was, this was such an important part of my understanding of faith because it finally helped me to kind of unhook from this. How can I say this? I'm going to give a very weird analogy, Katie. Okay. Okay. I like it. You know how when people critique and talk about, this is going to seem so random, but you know when people critique and talk about MLMs or direct marketing, like doing something mm-hmm. like selling, um, let's say Tupperware, because I feel like that won't step on anyone's toes. Right. <laughs> that when you're in that mindset that everybody, all of your friends, family become a potential customer and then become a potential member of your team and like it kind of shifts the way you think about people. Mm-hmm. For me, with the threat of literal hell weighing over like as an umbrella over every friendship and every relationship, it put a it put um a sense of urgency and made me 
I didn't realize this until I was an adult, but I had like categorize people as either like they're going to heaven or they're going to hell. And if they're going to hell, like it's up to me to save their actual (laughs) immortal soul. And that's a really big thing to put onto a friendship, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, My friend Julie and I sort of awesome regular Julie and I have talked about this, that there was a time in my life when I would have happily been friends with Julie, but it would have all been towards the end of getting her to convert from Judaism to Christianity, (laughs) you know? And so to be able to be released from that view of people, love wins. Mm -hmm. I I credit Rob's writing, his research, his courage. I mean, talk about Mm -hmm. a firestorm. He ended up leaving his his pastorate, whatever you call that being he stepped down as a pastor of his church mm-hmm. um and it has definitely been uh, firmly in the progressive camp ever since but that was a huge thing for him too personally and so um yeah i just have to say that was that was a definite mile marker on my path for sure okay so the next one i'm going to talk about cuz it's kind of in this vein and i do think it's really controversial but i don't think it's very widely read is richard rohr uh, um yes. and this one <laughs> The universal Christ, um, how a forgotten reality can change everything we see, hope for, and believe. Yes, and I will say he's definitely controversial amongst Catholics. Now, I'm sure outside he is. of Catholicism, <laughs> probably widely loved. I love him, but within the Catholic Church, he's very controversial for sure. <laughs> yeah, so this book is his newest, his latest one that was out. And it. I'm probably going to have to read it. I don't know, five or 10 more times to really, really understand what he's saying because he is so smart and so um, just, I mean, the way he talks, he's just very academic and very, um, but also very spiritual. I don't know. He's very, he's very good. Um, And so this one, I can't even really summarize the main message for you because it's hard, but he takes the idea of Christ and how, you know, we had Jesus in a person, but the Christ figure is, is a broader idea mm-hmm. that people all over in all different faith traditions have this idea of Christ and um, how we interact with that idea of Christ is different mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And he, to me, he just opens up this big wide world of like all of us in our shared humanity and not worrying about denominations and not worrying about traditions and not worrying about the specific nature of our specific practices, but how, you know, this idea of Christ is universal to, to everyone, um, how it is available to everyone, how, um, you know, everyone experiences it differently. And so I just love his, his whole shtick, Mm -hmm. his not even shtick, but his whole theology is very open and inclusive. And he wants everybody to be at the table, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, um, and so I, I, he's a person, I haven't even read anything else of his. This is the only book I've read. I've listened to him a lot on podcasts. Yeah. My mom sends me his daily meditations that she gets um, when she knows I'm going to love it. And he actually is in, in Albuquerque. Yes. He has a sister in Albuquerque. And so I'm like, can I go meet Richard Rohr someday? <laughs> yes. I really want to. But um, this book was, again, I'm going to need to reread it. A lot of times, probably, to get the message fully formed in my brain. But um, it was really pivotal for me to say, oh, this is this to to even have this idea that 
that it's not even about Christianity, but it's about the whole world yeah. and how all of us are interconnected and yes. how we all experience this. So that one was really good. Yep. I need to read that one so much. I love Richard Rohr and I do know He's yeah, wonderful. he can he can definitely his view is so inclusive that mm-hmm. some people get a little concerned. <laughs> well, and he was the one who I first, when we, when we were talking about hell, he's the one who I first kind of heard him say something like, well, what if there isn't mm-hmm, a hell? Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what if we're creating through our choices and the way that we treat people, our own kind of hell on earth, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're existing in that, but God's plan for us eternally is so much more than what we have here. Yes. And so that was a major shift for me too, to think about that just even as a just even as a question, you know, not even like knowing fully what I believe about that, but just hearing that that could be something that someone thinks is like, oh, yes, okay, yes, absolutely. Um, the, for my next thing I want to talk about, I'm going to pair two books together. They didn't really come out at the same time, but they inspired with me in me a new understanding of what it means to like to live daily as a Christian. Um, the first one is Jen Hatmaker's book seven, which Jen Hatmaker's written a lot of books. Um, Mm -hmm. and seven was one that I actually taught as a small group, like Sunday school study way back when I was still Southern Baptist teaching Sunday school to young adult women. And I just loved this book so much. The, the subtitle of this one is an experimental mutiny against excess. And it was the first Mm -hmm. time I saw, um, somebody who is very much like me kind of question, like, what are we doing in our culture? How does our faith um, reflect, like, how do we live this out in a culture that is very, you know, really bumps up hard? Extra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bumps up against a lot of Christian ideas in terms of how Christ lived and the call mm-hmm. to care for each other in the throughout the New Testament, those types of things. And going back to the Old Testament, too, of course. Um so seven was like a really pivotal moment for me to just, again, a questioning thing. But but this time, instead of questioning the church, I was like questioning myself. Like, mm-hmm. what? how do I interact with this? How do I integrate these ideas into my life? And then a book that I would pair with that, I would say, is our own Oshita Moore's um, first book, Shalom Sisters, which was mm-hmm. all about living wholeheartedly in the world. And like, one way that we can bear the image of Christ to other people around us is to do the work of Shalom as an Enneagram nine. I'm geared towards the thought of peacemaking anyway. Unfortunately, as a nine, sometimes I just think of peacekeeping instead of peacemaking, which Mm -hmm. Oshita talks a lot about the differences in those things. And that came into my life at a time when I needed that hope. It, It came into my life like in the last months before we began becoming Catholic, when I was really just searching for somebody to give me a way that I could, even though we weren't going to church, that I could still mm-hmm. live out what I believed about Christ and why He came to this earth and, and all of those things. And so I would pair those two together. Both of them have certainly gone on to write um, incredible books and, and have spoken mm-hmm. into people's lives in so many ways. But those, like, I feel like almost all of the books on my list are like people's first books. <laughs> I don't know why. I just like really deeply connect okay. with that first, you know, initial message when they burst onto the scene with what they have to say. And so um, I know Seven wasn't Jen Hatmaker's first book, but it was one of her earlier books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. What else do you have? So I, I, we can't have this conversation without talking about Barbara Brown Taylor. Yes. 
And I had a hard time deciding which book to talk about because I've read three now. Um, Leaving Church was about her as a Presbyterian minister and how she decided to kind of leave her um, ministry to teach instead. And so she went to teach at a college after being in um, the pastoral world forever. Um, And the Episcopal Church is one of the few that allows women to, you know, be the actual like priests of their churches. And so she was, um, she was in charge of an entire parish and she kind of talks about how she got compassion fatigue, you know, just try being that person that everybody needed something from all the time. And then how she transitioned into teaching. Um, and then learning to walk in the dark is another one that I really, really loved because that one was another one that was like, it's okay to not have all the answers, you know, and she kind of, she had all these nature um, metaphors about caves mm. and about the moon and all these things about how, you know, we want our, our human nature is to live in the light and to, to know all the things and to be confident about all the things, but actually the dark is really important for us too. And so that was really important kind of in the middle of my journey to say, it's, it's okay to sit with this, mm-hmm. like, don't rush yourself through this process. It's okay key to sit in the dark and to not know. And that's okay. And I really like that one. But my favorite one of hers is her newest one called Holy Envy. And it's the subtitle is Finding God in the Faith of Others. And so she teaches um, world world religions at a college. And um, she, in this book, she talks about other religions and what she um, really admires about their faith and oh, their practices. Yeah. And then what she kind of has adopted from each one into her own spiritual life. Um, yes. Because she thinks that they, you know, the way they do it is great and helpful and very like honoring of herself and her and other people. So I really liked that one. Cause again, it's a, it's, it's more of a, like, we are all humans and what does the human experience mean to us? And how can we look at faiths of other people and recognize that their faith is legitimate? And also, what can I borrow from them to make my spiritual life more um, intimate or whatever? So, yes, I really like that. Oh, that sounds so great. I need to pick that and that's one up. That's a good one. That sounds, yeah. that sounds incredible. Well, I'm going to wrap up my list. And I think, Katie, I think you have a few more. Um, I can't with any, you know, sort of like um, intellectual honesty, not talk about a book that was really important for us as we converted to Catholicism, because it's, this has been a whole journey from, you know, for me first beginning to encounter the permission to question things with blue like jazz back in the early 2000s, to us um, becoming Catholic. Um, it's a whole journey. And so I just want kind of want to give the the sort of in cap, which is not to say that things are not still evolving. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I do feel like even now in 2021, as a Catholic who goes to mass every Sunday, because of some things that have happened during the pandemic, but also other, I don't know, just like, I feel like I'm at peace with, with saying that my faith in some sense will probably always be evolving. Me too. I'm always going to be deconstructing some things and putting some things back together. And I'm f- completely fine with that, actually, now. Whereas it used to cause me a lot of anxiety and stress, and, it, and I don't want to mm-hmm. belittle the, that experience. It is very stress-inducing mm-hmm. to question something that's such a huge part of your life and such an intimate part of your life. But I think I have finally just come into a space of being like, I'm probably always going to question things and be looking for answers and taking things apart Mm -hmm. and putting them back together. But probably the most important book that's not theologically based, that's just a person's story is um, written by Dr. Scott Hahn, along with his wife, Kimberly. It's called Rome Sweet Home, Our Journey to Catholicism. Dr. Hahn is probably Mm -hmm. one of the most well-known contemporary 
Catholic teachers. He is a convert and um, speaks so well to so many people. He wrote this book decades ago, literally in the early 1990s, talking about their conversion journey and how he was a, a Presbyterian, I feel like, pastor who just really became enamored with the Eucharist and like what the Eucharist means. Mm -hmm. And that for me too, was like the igniting point um, that helps me come back to church as the Eucharist. But his wife, Kimberly, was very opposed to converting. And so they talked through the struggle. There was five years from the time he converted until she did. And so five years of pain and anguish and disunity. Mm. And they're very honest about it. It's, he does engage with some theology in the book because he's he talks about the things that Catholic theology teaches that were new to him and him kind of going through his own deconstruction and figuring mm -hmm. things out. So it's a little bit theological, but mostly it's the story of a couple going through this together and where they landed. And so I have such affection for that book and for them. Um, I got to see him in Oklahoma City speak, and this was before the pandemic, and got to meet him. And he's just an amazing human. Aww, so that's, yes, that's awesome. Yes, yes. I love stories yeah. like that. And I, and I know, I do know that, you know, this deconstruction process can be a real sticking point in marriages, especially if you're, you know, if you got married yes. under one pretense that you were going to live your life a certain way. And then one of you changes Absolutely. your mind, you know, that, that can be a big pain. Yeah. Point, so, um, Okay, so my last one um, is another Jen Hatmaker book because I just love her, but it's her and it's her newest one. It's Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire The Guide to Being Glorious You. And this one, is, is a pretty different from her other ones. You know, she's funny and she tells stories and she has, you know, heartfelt things in her other books, like for the love, yes. maybe laugh out loud yeah. <laughs> um, multiple times. But this one is more like a manifesto that she sat down and I could just picture her like sitting at her computer and just like yeah. type, 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 you know, getting it all out. Because what happened was she was basically excommunicated from the evangelical um setting because she came, she and her husband both came out and said that they were affirming of LGBT mm -hmm. people. And so that, and that was, they were big enough in the world. Like they had an HGTV show for a while and she was big into Lifeway and all mm -hmm. of her books and um, them coming out to say this on in Nash in the national space was huge. And they just totally got excommunicated. Like all of her book, you couldn't find, I, when I tried to look for seven a few years ago, I oh couldn't find gosh. it anywhere yeah. because it was not like no one was selling it at that point because it, mm -hmm. she had been like literally cut off from all of those spaces. And so, um, this is kind of her story. It's not really her story, but it's her thoughts about what happened yeah. afterwards and then how she kind of came to the conclusion that this is what she said this thing and she stands mm -hmm. by it because she, she did the yes. work behind it. And, um, you know, what, how, how you can be brave also to stand up for what you, what you know, even if it goes against what you've been taught your whole life. So it's, it's a lot of that, like unlearning, relearning cycle again. Um, and then I also really like that she talked about our bodies mm -hmm. and being women in the church and how, you know, society and Christianity have kind of paired together to, you know, like we talked about with Jesus feminists is to keep women in their place and to keep them, you know, thin and like ready with dinner when their husbands come home and all of the things that, you know, we should be in this, in this cultural context away from, but we're still kind of combating some of those thoughts. And so she talks about body image. She talks about, um, how, um, you know, the conservative religion has been damaging to like abusive, you know, to women uh, all over the place in abusive ways. And, um, and then just, you know, finding kind of who, who she was and 
figuring it out and standing up and saying it nice and loud and also leaving room for more growth, which is what I loved the best. Like you talked about, like, I don't think we're ever going to, I don't think if you say, I I don't think people who say I've arrived here and I know everything, I don't think that that, Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. think that's healthy. (laughs) And I also don't think that's true. (laughs) Like, I think that um, you're just fooling yourself if you already think that you've got it figured out. And I think that about everything. I think that about motherhood. I think that about teaching. I think that about, um, you know, anything in life. If you feel like I finally understand everything there is to know, you're just not being honest with yourself because there's so much more to learn and so many more ways to be open. So I, um, so that was my last one. I really love her. And then watching her go through this divorce, um, which has been very public. I mean, she hasn't publicly shared why, but Mm -hmm. she's been processing her divorce, um, publicly and just watching her kind of go through this. And for me, people like Jen Hatmaker, people like Sarah Bessie, people like Rachel Held Evans, what they've given me and the gift is because sometimes I'm tempted to throw all religion away. I'm just tempted to say, I'm done with this. I don't want to hold on to it. It's mm-hmm. caused more damage and it's caused good. Um, but to watch them go through what they've gone through and to tell their stories and then to still say, I want to be here in a space yes. is the gift that they've given me. Yes, I absolutely agree. And thankfully, we do have these writers who take up mm-hmm. the the plight. And it's not easy in their personal life to do this, but they have the courage and the passion and the right. fire to get these words out to the people. So that people like you and I can say, this was the light I needed on the path at this moment in time. Um, As you're listening, obviously, superstars, there's no surprise, Katie and I are pretty progressive. Um, It's in terms of, you know, our life, our beliefs, our our faith, those types of things. But, you know, we want to honor the fact that people are all over the spectrum, even Mm -hmm. in our little community of superstars. There's definitely people across the spectrum. And so we know that there are authors, books, messages that have come into your life that have been really instrumental to you on your faith journey, whether or not that was a a deconstruction and a putting back together, or just an evolving in your understanding of your own beliefs. And so we are very much looking forward to hearing, I mean, I think Katie and I are always up for book talk, even if it's not a book that's for us, you (laughs) know, that there's that we love to hear what was for you. And so I'm looking forward to follow up conversation either in our hangout group. Certainly, you can text me um, if you are part of our little texting group, would love to hear your thoughts. If you want to share something more private and personal, you're welcome to text me. I'll put the number again in the um, show notes for this um, or leave a comment here on Patreon so we can we can catch you there too. We just we don't want to miss your thoughts on this because again, this is, you know, it's spicy in the sense that it can be a little controversial. Mm-hmm. It definitely can be personal. So Katie, thank you for putting the thought and the time and the emotional labor into thinking through this and putting this list together. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for letting me, you know, say all of this because it's not something I talk about super publicly or have, you know, a, a lot of people that I talk about this with. So thank you for letting me share a little bit of that today. Absolutely. Yes. Superstars, thank you for letting us trust this conversation to you. And thank you for your support, your ongoing support of Sorta Awesome. It means so much to us. We've really loved putting the uh, Sorta Spicy series together so that we can share our hearts with you um, a little bit more deeply. Um, so thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. We'll see y'all next time. <laughs>